Um, the topic for uh, this uh, talk, Wednesday night uh, talk, is mindful contemplation of uh, perception at the aggregate of perception. So you might be aware uh, that uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, the discourse on the establishment of uh, mindfulness, uh, speaks of four establishments of mindfulness. The first one uh, being mindful contemplation of the body or bodily formations. The second one uh, being mindful contemplation of feelings. And then we have as number three, mindful contemplation of the mind, citta nupasana, satipatthana. And the last one is dhamma nupasana, satipatthana, a mindful contemplation of dhammas. And certainly here the term dhamma can be understood in a well, in a more general way as phenomena, and more specifically as referring to specific mental factors and also very specific categories of dhamma or of teachings. The Items that Satya, the Buddha has Satya, mentioned under you know, Dhammanubhasana, Satipatthana that come up for you know, contemplation are, for one, the contemplation of the five hindrances, then number two, contemplation of the five aggregates, and Satya, then you know, we have a contemplation of the six sense you know, spheres, then you know, this is followed by contemplation of the seven awakening factors, and finally a contemplation of the Four Noble Truths. So our talk will you know, focus on a very particular aspect you know, that has to do with the mindful contemplation of aggregates. Buddhist teachings certainly speak of a human being or an individual as consisting of three, five aggregates, namely the aggregate of materiality, so all physical formations taken as a group, as a mass, whether present, past, or future. And then we have the aggregate of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. And then as number three, the aggregate of perceptions. And then number four is the aggregate of volitional formations. And the last one is a mindful contemplation of consciousness, vijnana, nyakanda. And so the mindful contemplation of the aggregate of perception and the aggregate of perception proves to be very fascinating. There's much we can learn from this, not only for our meditation practice, but also for life in general. And you may have noticed in the course of Fatna time that suddenly you see some item, let's say like a stick, lying across a road and then upon, so it appears to be, it's perceived as a stick, but then when you go closer to the object, you realize this is not a stick, but uh, let's say a row of some insects. 
If you go even closer, you might certainly find that no, this is not just a row of insects, but rather you can make out you know, the individual uh, ants that are crossing you know, the road. So the first perception is one thing, and certainly the second perception is again another thing, and the third perception is again a different uh, thing. So perception uh, as a mental factor is a tricky you know, thing we have to be careful and at least realize that some of our perceptions may be uh, a bit faulty. Now, the instructions that the Buddha has certainly given, as mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta, with regard to a mindful contemplation of the aggregate of perceptions, are very simple. Namely, such is perception, such its arising, such its passing away. And that's all. So, based on these three you know, very simply put you know, instructions, do you really know what to do? So, the instructions are so brief that some further explanations you know, will be necessary. The expression such is perception you know, refers to knowing, observing and coming to know the nature of perception. So the qualities, what is this perception all about? Many of us might not even be really familiar what a perception is. Now, the second and the third instruction then deal you know, with you know, the impermanent quality of certain perception. So at times, if we are not in the habit of practicing mindfulness, then it might appear to us that perception is rather permanent and it's lasting. But in actuality, this is not the case at all. Now, for a better theoretical, first of theoretical understanding of certain perception, it certainly helps certain to you know, hear how the Buddha defines certain this, what he means by perception. He says, and I'm quoting from the you know, 22nd collection of discourses from the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected certain discourses, and why bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and lay retreatants do you call it perception? It perceives, therefore it is called perception. It perceives, and what does it perceive? It perceives blue, yellow, red, and white. It perceives, therefore it is called perception. So, perception then is just this perceiving of the different qualities or features of an object. Now, if we take all the experiences that involve perception to get, and we put them into one container, so to speak, 
then you know, this can be referred to as the aggregate of perceptions. And perceptions of the present, perceptions that we've had in the past, perceptions that subnet might arise or that will arise in the future, as well as subnet internal perceptions, external perceptions, gross and refined subnet perceptions. Now, perception is a mental factor that is known as the uh, one of the seven universal mental factors, which means that perception arises with any kind of consciousness, any class of or type of consciousness. So. Perception, therefore, at times can be a wholesome perception, at times when it's associated with wholesome consciousness, at other times when it arises together with consciousness that is unwholesome, then you know, the perception will also become unwholesome, and at yet another, you know, at other times, you know, perception will be associated with consciousness that is indeterminate, and at that point, perception too becomes indeterminate. So. Ethically speaking, perception is not of a fixed character, but rather variable. Now, the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification that was compiled by Elder Bodhagosa, gives us definitions for all prominent mental factors or mental states and uh, included in uh, this long list is the mental factor of perception. And it says that its characteristic is the perceiving of the signs or qualities of an object. And its function is to make a mark or you know, to make a sign as a condition for you know, recognizing you know, the same object as being such and such an object. The second function is you know, to recognize an object that has already you know, been uh, um, perceived at an earlier point. So a young you know, child that is growing up by, you know, its, uh, you know, by its parents will be shown a tree and suddenly the explanation then is this is a tree. The child will remember this and then in the future whenever it comes across some you know, plant you know, that has a long stem with branches and you know, leaves on it, it will say, Papa, Mama, this is a tree. So it recognizes what it has uh, you know, perceived a first you know, time. Now, perception becomes manifest as the interpreting of you know, the object by way of its different features. So if, for instance, there is a drawing which consists just of dots, but the dots are arranged in a very particular shape, 
Then we look at the whole thing and certain out if the dots are laid out along the shape of a duck, we will say, we will then come to the conclusion, we will interpret this, this is a duck. And so it is here with this interpreting that we may go wrong based on a certain information that we gather about an object, then a certain interpretation takes place of that certain same object. Now, the nearest cause for the arising of certain perception is certainly the object as it certainly occurs. Now, as can be deducted already, or you know, deduced already, from the fact that perception at times arises with wholesome consciousness, at other times with unwholesome consciousness, and then again you know, with indeterminate consciousness, it goes without falling that uh, you know, perception at times can be associated with wisdom, and certainly thus we might call it right perception, and at other times it might be associated with the mental factor of ignorance, and then we might call this as wrongful perception. Now, early on, during our guided certain meditation together, the instruction was given several times, to, when a predominant object had arisen, to label that object, to observe it carefully from start to finish, and to try to know its nature. So, observing the object, being aware of the object, is nothing other than the mental factor of mindfulness, sati in the Pani scriptural language. I mean, knowing the nature of an object is nothing other than the mental factor of what? Of intuitive wisdom. Intuitive wisdom or knowledge. So you know, we you know, uh, come to know something. Now, in terms of that labeling, when we label an object, the rising movement of the abdomen as rising, or the falling movement of the abdomen when it takes place as falling, the label itself yeah, then is um, a form or is part of, uh, is an aspect of perception. So yeah, we yeah, then recognize this is certainly the expansion of the abdomen, this is the rising movement, and accordingly we put a label there, we put a name yeah, there. Now, when we carefully undertake our mindfulness practice, we will come across a great variety of physical sensations or mental objects. And when carefully you know, observing a sensation, then you know, owing to its different qualities, let's say you know, the object is rather solid, rather compact, 
and certainly one cannot press uh, there's no you know, no no way to uh, press it in any uh, way so you know, based on you know, the on you know, this input we then come to the conclusion that this must be the sensation of hardness or when we find that a movement of the abdomen is a bit hindered, then we might certainly say, okay, this then, or there seems to be some stiffness there. So then a recognition of this particular aspect or, or experience as suddenness stiffness and so on and suddenness so forth now mindfulness practice especially at first you know during the first satna retreat maybe even into the second satna retreat of a week or even more to some extent is about recognizing or perceiving you know, the different objects that are occurring in the body and objects that are occurring in the mind and then once an object has been perceived as such and such as hardness stiffness softness heat cold warmth and then a mental state as sudden greed or happiness or joy and so on then later on we will have a reference point and with this we recognize what has been perceived already at an earlier point now When we compare a human being's perception of a particular object with, let's say, some animal's perception of that same object, what do you think? Is it always the same or not? Not the same. So, to give you an example that was proposed by Nevenerald Sayadaw, um, uh, Janaka Biwamsa, the founder and Satna leading uh, teacher at Satna the Amarapura the study monastery in the northern part of Satna Burma. He says, feces to human beings uh, are disgusting. However, feces to maggots, to worms, and to pigs is choice food. So, one and the same thing, but our perception of uh, the object is different. Now, along uh, the same uh, line, a scarecrow to a bird looks like a, a true human being, whereas to a human being, a scarecrow is just a scarecrow. Nothing to be afraid of. Now, as we engage in our mindful contemplation of uh, many objects and among those certainly uh, there will be some uh, perceptions we might over time realize that changes take place namely we might call this um, object changes of object perception so with regard to one and the same object our perception changes to give you some examples 
It is not uncommon during intensive meditation practice that a retreatant at first will very much take delight in the food being offered at breakfast, at lunch, and maybe even uh, some small snack later on in the day. Now, as one deepens one's mindfulness certain meditation, sooner or later one might reach a point where the same kind of breakfast, the same kind of lunch, then elicits quite a different reaction. And it might happen that the food now, food that previously was perceived as rather tasty, well-cooked, now lacks taste, is rather insipid. And one, and one you know, might even feel like not eating you know, very much or not at all. Now, this is a vast contrast and that is certainly taking place. What happens is that a retreatant, by being mindful of what truly is happening, gradually then becomes more disenchanted with food, so no longer it gets carried away by the tasty food and then adopts a more balanced attitude towards food. And with that then, we take food not for fun, not for pleasure, but rather to nourish the body and then based on this, the mind. Now, another example along the same line, namely change of object certain perception. You might have experienced at some point in your life that you perceive, owing to certain circumstances, another person as your enemy. So maybe things suddenly went really bad. However, if you happen to be a retreatant and meditator, and you're concerned about having enemies, you might suddenly then engage in loving kindness meditation. So you start radiating loving kindness to yourself and suddenly then you know, to others, and then eventually also to your perceived enemy. Now, if you keep doing this long enough, you might get to a point where you perceive uh, yourself mm, as well as others, as well as that enemy, as just friends of equal value. And your enemy is no longer an enemy. Now, that is amazing. And what is possible in our relation, in our day-to-day -day relationship with other you know, human beings uh, you know, around us in our you know, loc locality, that, I feel, should also be possible on an international level. Why is there so much um, uh, talking and perceiving another country as an enemy? Now, as certain retreatants, 
we can see similar changes of object certain perception in our meditation practice. What I'm trying to say is we see greater details. So in the case of a mindful observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, a beginning retreatant will typically see this as one continuous movement. So rising and falling are connected and it's one continuous movement. Now, just a few hours of a mindful observation will lead a person to realize that it's not just one continuous movement, but rather there is the rising movement, then there's a pause in between before the next, before the falling movement starts, and then there might be also a pause between the end of the falling movement and the next rising movement. Now, so having made that distinction, one that might then venture a bit further, once mindfulness hopefully increases, getting it strengthened, and certainly with this then, one might notice that one rising movement of the abdomen is not just one straight forward continuous movement, but rather it seems to be a little bit wavy in nature. So that is a valid observation, at least for a while. Then, as one's mental faculties you know, sharpen further, one you know, makes a new discovery, namely that this same rising movement and falling movement of the abdomen is no longer a wave-like movement, but rather a segmented movement. So what looked like one continuous rising movement now is seen, is experienced as consisting of several segments, could be two, three, four, sometimes even five to ten or even more than this. Now, if we go much deeper than this, much further than this, then we might find that those individual segments are breaking up and suddenly they then turn into, let's say, some dots or those dots, so a line of just dots, the dots are arising and passing, and it could even happen that even that perception as dots then fades and one sees just waves there or vibrations there. Now, there are quite a number of other examples that could be given in this certain regard, namely to change of or changes in, of, in object perception. Some of the important ones in the course of our mindfulness practice, our relationship to sickness, to falling sick, 
might uh, undergo uh, significant changes. So under normal circumstances, especially in our present day world, when we fall sick, that certainly could be or could amount certainly to a small disaster. So am I going to lose my job and uh, uh, what certainly should I do? Now, not only that suddenly the body suffers, but the mind suddenly also suffers with you know, the arising of many worries and there may be even you know, some fears there, some anxiety is suddenly there. Now, mindfulness practice may make a big difference in this kind of a situation. So, when we fall sick, then it's just a matter of being mindful of the different sensations, the different certain symptoms that go along with this particular bodily uh, ailment. And certainly then you know, to keep the mind as balanced as certainly possible. So at that point, you know, experiencing an event of bodily ailment is no longer a disaster, but just another natural uh, occurrence in human existence. And the Buddha says, if the body has to suffer, then at least not let satna, or don't let the mind suffer. Now, retreatants in Lumbini, at the birthplace of the Buddha, have, especially those who've practiced over a longer period of time, have noticed and stated changes of perception with regard to a phenomenon that awaits all of us, namely death. So, sorry to talk about death, but <laughs> it's still important. <laughs> now, usually we try to avoid certainly thinking about death. We try to just ignore it, pretend that it's not certainly there. But uh, does this really help? It doesn't. No. As a retreatant, we gradually get suddenly into this habit of observing really closely and really carefully what is actually going on. And as we do this, upon observing predominant objects, we might find that a number of objects not only arise and last for a while and undergo changes, but sooner or later they do what? They pass away. There you go. And if you keep you know, seeing formations as passing away and passing away over and over and over again, sooner or later you might get the point that these formations are dying. It's the death of those you know, formations. Now, as you keep observing this particular aspect on a quite regular basis, it becomes a familiar experience. That's just the way it is. And um, so the practice itself then can be seen as a natural preparation for the big death that occurs at the end of our life. And so when the actual death 
you know, takes place, then we are in a much better position to deal with it and suddenly you know, then hopefully with a calm and pure mind we can face sudden death and also with sudden composure. So then at that point, death is no longer seen as something frightening, something that we need to ignore or just push aside, but it's something that we're very familiar with and so we just observe it for what it is. Now, you might know a person or two in your circle of friends or acquaintances who has a somewhat unhappy relationship with spiders. <laughs> and so, so a spider is just a spider. But to some people, owing to a certain misperception, a spider seems like something really of the frightening. And to some, even a dead spider might still be frightening, even though it's dead. Now, as certainly we objectively and honestly and certainly with meticulous mindfulness observe certainly whatever prominent object certainly comes up, then we will on occasion also bring mindfulness to the activity of seeing a spider. And certainly gradually we find then that our aversive relationship with certain spider then subsides and certainly maybe after several days or even several weeks we then can be on friendly terms certainly with any kind of spider in our room or apartment. So again, a change of object perception that might take place over time. Now, many more examples could certainly be given, but time is certainly limited. Now, not only can we directly observe changes of object perception, but we can even notice, if we observe really carefully, changes with, with regard to the mental factor of perception itself. So Retreatants and Lumbini, upon being asked, have you noticed any changes with regard to perception in the course of your meditation practice, have answered as Sapna follows. Namely, they say that over time, perception becomes much more detailed. So one notices more, many more things than one would uh, uh, usually notice in uh, the past. One's perceptions become more vivid, newer, 
and you know, perception as a mental factor itself becomes sharper. Scientific research was done on this particular aspect by Dr. Daniel Brown and uh, Dr. Jack Engler at uh, the Inside Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts in the uh, 1990s. And they found you know, that our threshold of perception in the course of intensive practice changes tremendously in a, in a way you know, that certain, uh, the mind uh, perceives many more you know, details and also phenomena that are happening at increasingly you know, shorter you know, moments. Now, our perceptions not only become faster, they also become sharper and you know, fresher. And you know, perception is more and more in the present moment. Now, not only this, we might actually discover how the mental factor of perception arises, lasts for a tiny little moment, and suddenly then passes away. Or, with an even sharper mind, we might suddenly find how perception arises just very briefly and the next moment it disappears. Or we might sub discover, make a, a even further you know, discovery uh, that over time perception that early on was clear, sometimes even crystal clear, now starts becoming a bit vague, a bit blurry, a bit certain fuzzy or hazy. And then you know, meditators or retreatants might uh, even notice just the dissolution, the disintegration of uh, a perception. So the genesis and the lasting of a perception is no longer in the foreground of our observation, but rather you know, the ending you know, portion. Now, with all of these experiences, can we say that perception is a permanent state, everlasting, never changing? It doesn't make sense. Perception, you know, then, obviously you know, is understood as an <coughs> alterable mental state. So now we have a really fascinating you know, situation. The object of our perception might change over time and that which that mental factor which perceives an object itself also undergoes changes so this makes for lots and lots of different combinations now having spent an entire day in downtown Boston, if you like to, even in downtown New York, having perceived thousands and thousands of uh, visible objects, having perceived all sorts of sounds, all sorts of smells, and so on, by the time in the evening you get back home, what would you say? Having to perceive objects is the greatest fun on earth. <laughs> Is it tiring or not? It is. It can be quite exhausting. Now, 
Perceptions are said to be unsatisfactory, not only because, you know, you know, as we've discussed, you know, they are you know, somewhat oppressive, but also because of the simple fact that perceptions themselves undergo change. And we want a perception to be permanent, lasting, not changing. So, what we then have is a situation where the mental factor of perception, sanya and chetasika, is not only subject to impermanence, but also subject to unsatisfactoriness. And satya then, is there anyone among you who has absolute control over perceptions? <coughs> so you sit there and then you will, okay, I will... I don't want to have only wholesome perceptions arising. Is this possible? Not possible. At least not, not at the beginning of one's mindfulness practice. So, with this satna then, it becomes obvious that certain perceptions are not identical uh, with a self. We, uh, the self is not in uh, control, is not certainly in charge. Furthermore, we can say uh, that certain perceptions are not the seat of uh, the self. Perceptions arise owing to certain circumstances, and the circumstances are mm, the arising of a visible object, so a visible sight, then you know, the presence of mm, physical eyes to see with. When those two come together, seeing consciousness takes place. Those three, the visible sight, you know, the physical eyes with which we see, and certainly the seeing consciousness, the coming together of those three is known as the mental factor of contact. And based on this, you know, then a feeling can arise based on contact, also perception arises. Now, what certainly one perceives, one reasons about, and oftentimes this then may lead on to a mental proliferation. So one gets lost in one's certain thinking. The Buddha states sorry, that detachment from perception is required to gain liberation. It is through systematic mindfulness practice that gradually we learned more and more about certain perception. The more we learn about it, the more we also understand about its nature. And certainly with this, we are less fooled to believe each and every perception that suddenly comes up. Now, in the context of certain perception, there's still 
other aspects that are worth mentioning. One is the cluttering of perception, namely through our projections, biases, judgments, stereotypes, and the like. Or you could even say through our views. So perception, when it's arising with unwholesome consciousness, is not a purified type of, uh, or a pure type of perception, but rather perception that does get influenced in certain ways. And that's may cause uh, problems as we see in a little while. So it's common among human beings to have a perception, to perceive some object, and suddenly then get suddenly totally lost in this perception to think about it and suddenly get suddenly carried away. But the Buddha's instructions you know, to Bahia give us an idea of what is really needed. Namely, he says, in what is seen, there must be only the seen. In what is heard, there must be only the heard. In what is sensed as smell, as taste or touch, there must be only what is sensed in what is thought. There must be only what is thought. Now, this means that when a perception arises right away, we're mindful of this and we don't allow the process to go on. So a perception leading you know, to a thought, to yet another thought, and suddenly then to mental proliferation, and suddenly then maybe to liking or disliking, and with this suddenly then your mind clearly becomes unwholesome. So as meditators, we want to catch these perceptions right when and where you know, they are you know, happening. Now, this is what? An easy task to do or difficult? <laughs> Extremely difficult. But at least one can work towards this. Now, uh, time is always too short. <laughs> now, mm, perception plays a very important role when it comes to conflicts and conflict resolution. To give you a really nice illustration for this, an illustration that we find in the Udana, a certain collection of shorter discourses by the Buddha. So, the Buddha describes the following situation. At one time, there was a king who then asked his people to bring along all the blind men of the kingdom. So all the blind men of the kingdom were gathered, brought to one place, and suddenly then, one by one, they were exposed to a big elephant. 
each one was Satna asked, okay, touch this part and Satna then no, no, tell me what this is all about. So first Satna blind Satna man was Satna taken towards Satna the uh, trunk of Satna the elephant. So he touched Satna the trunk and Satna then thought an elephant is like a big Satna, a PVC pipe. <laughs> and then uh, the servants of Fatna the king brought along the second blind man and had him touch a foot of the elephant. So he would touch it carefully and Satna then would come to the impression that an elephant is like, let's say, a big garbage can. And Satna then, a third blind man, he was Satna taken towards the tail of the elephant. He touched the tail and Satna then thought, well, an elephant seems to have have this stick with long hair on it that seems to be moving. Then the king asked all of these blind men, to come and to describe to him what an elephant is. So the first one states an elephant is uh, uh, something that feels like a big uh, corrugated PVC pipe. And then the second certain blind man said, no, 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 not like this at all. An elephant more feels like, uh, uh, like a garbage can. Around certain garbage can or dust, dust bin, and then the third blind man was asked to tell what he thought an elephant is all about, and so he said it feels like the stick with long hair attached to it, and then those three blind men did what? They started quarreling. They started quarreling about who is right, whose perception is right and whose perception is wrong. Now, conflicts oftentimes occur just along this illustration. So there is some social situation one person involved will perceive it in one way, another person will also involved in the same situation will perceive it in a different way. And that certainly being the case, having different uh, perceptions of one and the same you know, thing and not talking about it, then easily leads to uh, uh, some dispute or uh, conflict. And mm, Conflict resolution, one aspect of conflict resolution is that the parties to a conflict talk about their perceptions openly. That one party says, okay, our perception of the situation is so-and-so. The next party says, our perception is quite different, and it is so-and-so-and-so. And then maybe a third group. And then eventually, while well, listening to you know, what the others have to say, you know, one realizes that, well, there's not just one single perception of a particular situation. And with this, then, some resolution of the conflict becomes possible. Now, 
misperceptions are a common phenomenon. At the outset, there was mention of Fatna, that stick, seemingly stick lying across the road, which then you know, turns suddenly out to be just a row of ants uh, moving across the road. Likewise, children oftentimes underlie or are underlying or have you know, this wrongful perception that their parents are permanent. Unfortunately, oftentimes they're not. Parents break up, they divorce, and this thing can be terrible for the children. And apparently in Belgium there's a group, or this, if I remember correctly, even in government schools, there's an attempt to introduce children to the fact of impermanence. Just that they, from an early point onwards, get an idea that there are certain things that are impermanent, maybe even including the parents. Now, to finish off this talk, in the text there is further mention of either three or four types of distortions of perception known as vipalasa in the Pali scriptural language. Distortions of perception, or sorry, those distortions can be uh, or are of perception, then we have distortion of consciousness, then we have distortion of view, those certain three. And certainly, so if we perceive, or again and again, perceive an object as permanent, when in fact it is impermanent, then this will shape, this will influence our thinking, it will shape or influence consciousness. And once consciousness has been influenced and distorted, then this will also have an impact on our views, and thus our views too become distorted. So in this way, there is distortions of perceptions, this leading, possibly leading on to distortion of consciousness and certainly then distortion of views. Now, these distortions of perception may occur not only with regard to permanence, impermanence, but what is ultimately unsatisfactory is, perce is perceived as satisfactory, as conducive to happiness. What is ultimately not you know, belonging to a self, what we cannot call my or mine, um, this is wrongfully perceived as my so-and-so. And suddenly then what suddenly is ultimately speaking not beautiful no sorry what is uh, yeah what is not 
beautiful is actually seen as Satya beautiful. So those certain cases are cases of misperception and its consequences are being mentioned in the text. Now, allow me to you know, conclude May this short talk on perceptions serve as an inspiration for you next time in your mindfulness practice or during a formal sitting or outside of a formal sitting too carefully inquire into those many perceptions that occur in the course of a single day and certainly thus may you learn or find out about the true nature of perceptions and may you not become the victim of especially not of misperceptions and over time may our perceptions become increasingly more accurate, less and less influenced by mental defilements, and in the worst case, this would be ignorance. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.